My subject this morning is Christianity light. Um, my son, when I, when I put that on the postcard, my son called me and he says, Dad, I think you made a mistake. He said, what do you mean Christianity light? I said, well, you've heard of Bud Light, haven't you? And he said, yes. I said, well, this is Christianity light. Um, Paul said to the Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you into believing that Christ is not enough? Now, he was saying to them, how could you have been fooled after learning about the crucifixion of Christ and what it means? How could you have been tricked into this? He says in in Galatians, the entire book of Galatians, he sort of, uh, his his entire argument to, to those that are in Christ and the Judaizers, he wraps it all around the cross. Millions of Christians, they buy into the belief that they are sinners. They recognize that. They've accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and they're going to heaven. And it's because of something that God did. And of course, we know it. It was, it was at the cross. But sooner or later, most Christians experience a religious some sort of religious authority that comes down to them and they interpret that as the church is trying to get them, convince them that they need to obey the moral laws of God and they're appealing to their external means instead of focusing on who they really are in Christ, that they are a new person, they have a new nature. So as a new Christian... We try to do all the right things. I can remember when I was born again, and I wanted to do everything that I was supposed to do as a Christian. I just didn't know what I was supposed to do. And after I was was in the church and fellowshipping for a while, then I sort of felt that there were people that were looking at me, and um, they had heard that I was just discharged from the Marine Corps and everything, and then I was a little messed up, a little confused. And so they were looking at me a little differently, and I got the impression that they were, they were checking me out to see whether I was really born again, that I was really a Christian. And then some of them came to my side. I think they met well and everything, but they were going to teach me and inform me what I have to do to become a good Christian. And so there's all sorts of formulas out there. And it seems like that when we, it doesn't take the church too long and, uh, and start giving us advice on how to live out the Christian life. Now, most of us have already beaten ourselves up for not having our life put together like some people think we should have. And they have formulas for us to get that. They say, well, uh, those that came to me, they said that it's important that I, have, uh, that I be, because I'm a new Christian, that I be responsible to somebody who's an older Christian. 
And I said, okay. I said, how does that work? And they said, well, he'll come alongside of you. He'll keep in touch with you, and he'll teach you. And I said, okay. How does that work? I mean, how, he's going to teach me what? Well, he's going to teach you how to study the Bible, how to pray, and they had all sorts of methods that they used. Now, many times I've thought the message of grace is really for the non-religious people. And the reason I have thought that through the years is because real religious people, they look at grace as Christianity light. They have this fear, somehow, that they're a little bit afraid of too much grace because it might be licensed to sin. And you might not look at sin in a responsible way. You just take it for granted. And so <clears throat> I was a little bit confused on exactly what they really wanted. And so <clears throat> I decided that you know, maybe I just need to be alone. Maybe I just need to figure this out for myself. And so we're going to start our study with Galatians 5, verse 1. The Bible says here, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So freedom is a central theological concept in the book of Galatians. It's freedom from the law and freedom from worldly principles. And Paul is saying that when you turn to Christ, you turn away from Moses. And the important thing is that you do not get caught up with the Mosaic law. Being free is a result of the death of Jesus Christ, we were captive to sin and the law, but Christ redeemed us from those things. Freedom is tied into the language of redemption. Being free is in the spirit of God. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, the Bible says this, Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. In other words, there is freedom. When you are in Christ, you are free to be who you really are. You don't have to try to be anybody else but who you are. God is going to work through you through that unique personality that you have. Now, freedom is not being free to do whatever we want. It is being incorporated into the life of God. It is Christ living in us, and it is Christ living through us. That is the gospel. It is something that we enjoy. And there's a lot of people today who do not enjoy their Christian life. In fact, they are burdened down with it. They're burdened down with guilt because they don't always do the right thing. They don't always think the right thoughts. And so it is not something that they really, really are experiencing a great deal of joy and excitement about. 
But Paul is saying to these Judaizers, these Judaizers are Christian Jews. And what happened to them is when they embraced Christianity, they were looking for guidelines and they knew that it would be the law of Moses. And so they tried to incorporate Christ. They accepted Christ, but then they had to have these guidelines. They had to have the law. And so they mixed it together. And this is what the letter of Galatians is all about. This is what Paul is so upset about. And so he's writing these and he says, you foolish Galatians, what have you done? What are you doing? And sometimes I think we as Christians, we hear the same message. What are we doing when we incorporate law into the gospel? And so being free is the liberation of a person's spirit to do what God wants, to be what God wants, and to enjoy the life that God gives us on this earth. The Bible says that when you do that, you become slaves to Christ. What does that mean we become slaves to Christ? It means that we want what Christ wants. What happens when we are growing in Christ, when we are growing in grace? It takes, it takes a lifetime. Nobody ever stops growing. And what happens to us, the more that we grow in Christ, the more that we understand who we are in Christ, then the more we want what God wants. We be, there's a, there, there becomes a oneness in our spirit because we are born of the spirit and we want what God wants. Our desires to become what God desires for us. Being free has a social implication as well. We live out the life of freedom by loving others. We don't live it out by correcting others. We don't live it out by condemning others. We live it out by loving others. And we develop relationships to others that that are marked with gentleness and kindness. In other words, it's the, it's the spirit, it's the fruit of the spirit. It's love, it's peace, it's joy, it's patience, it's self-control. In other words, freedom is obtained in all dimensions of life. Freedom is the heart of the gospel. In Galatians 5.2, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you, reserve, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Notice in verse 3, he says, And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Now, Paul is saying, Mark my words, he says. You let yourself be circumcised, and Christ will be of no value to you. If you mix law and grace, and a lot of people have done it, I did it for years. When you do that, you get confused on who you really are in Christ. Because now, according to what Paul says, if you, if you are under one law, you're under all laws. And that is the book of law. And if you go to the Jewish people, they have the book of law. It 
contains 613 laws. There's a ceremonial law, the civil law, and of course the Ten Commandment law. 613 laws to tell you how to live, how to act, how to eat, how to do everything. If you, if you are under one, you're under all of them. It says that if you do that, it says you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Now, I know that there are a lot of church groups that have taken this text out of context. And they say, okay, you're severed from Christ, and now you have fallen from grace. In other words, you can lose your salvation. There is no way in the world that you can lose your salvation. You cannot be born again. That's what the whole concept is. You're born again. You can't lose your salvation. Now, this fallen from grace, where do you fall from? Well, you fall back to the law. That's what Paul was telling them. When, <clears throat> when you bring in the law and you seek to be justified by the law, it says... You are not, you, you, you're not lost. You have fallen from grace and you've fallen back to the keeping of the law. It says in verse 5, For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Now, Paul is saying, it doesn't make any difference. All this stuff is nonsense. Circumcision, uncircumcision, the Jews, you demand that you be circumcised. Circumcised, the Gentiles, they don't have to be, so they're uncircumcised. And, the, and what Paul is saying, that it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. What was bothering Paul and what provoked Paul was the reason for them to be circumcised. In other words, what they were saying, that Christ isn't enough. Christ is insufficient. And the Holy Spirit is not enough. Not The Christian was saying, Paul was trying to convince them, that if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, he's your counselor, he's your guidance, he guides you, he teaches you, he instructs you. And what, what they were saying is that no, we need a little bit of Moses. Now, when we go there, Paul says, you're going down a dead-end road because now you're under law and you have to keep the whole law, not just some of it. So, the idea that one has to become a Jew to become a child of God, Paul resisted. He didn't like that idea. He says that, he says in verse 7, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul knew who it was. He, he knew it was the Judaizers, the Christian Jews. He says, this, this persuasion did not come from him, did not come from God who called you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. So, it's Jesus plus nothing. And that's the message that Paul is saying. 
And then in verse 10, he says this. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul is speaking here to those Christian Jews. He says, if you're going to be legalistic towards other people, if you're going to be bitter, if you're going to be resentful and teach them that they can mix law and grace, he says, you're going to have to face the judgment. Now, we already know that there is no Christian that is going to face the judgment. So he was telling those who had not accepted Christ as, as complete. He was talking to those who were not quite sure. They wanted a little bit of Jesus, but they also wanted the law to guide them. Legalistic people do not have contentment, peace, or love. Some are content that they are right in their belief system. So there's a, there's a contentment there. And they feel that because of what they believe that everyone else is wrong. If you would visit a lot of the churches today, you would find that there are some of those who believe that theologically they are correct. I would like to think that I believe that, that theologically I'm correct. So we all feel that we're theologically correct. But the problem with that is that there are some who believe that they, because of their theology, they are the only ones that are going to go to heaven. And there's many groups who believe that. They believe that because of their theology, that the devil has duped everybody else. The devil has gotten in there and had led them astray, and they no longer could be saved. That is the farthest thing from the truth. When you are born again, when you have received Christ, you understand that he is your savior. You may not understand the, the Bible when you, when you first come to Christ. In fact, it takes us years to understand scripture. None of us are really theologians. And so we look and we try and we try our very best to have the Lord lead us in our study, in our, in our, in our actions and everything else. This is the important thing. If you are in Christ, no matter what fellowship you are a member of, you are in Christ. You are in Christ. You're a brother and sister in Christ. Now, what I do know is those of us who came to Christ and it was our desire to live for Christ, and we, we sensed there was an obligation on our part. I know I certainly did. My, I sensed this obligation that I, I should do everything right, every right, everything that I can do. But I did not know my identity in Christ then. I did not know and did not believe at that particular time that I was absolutely sure of my identity in Christ. You were changed from a sinner man to a saint. 
the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I thought, when I first came to Christ, that it was going to be some time before I could ever think of myself as a saint. And, and yet the Bible says that that's what I am. 56 times the Bible refers to me in the New Testament and you as a saint. So when are we going to believe it? I didn't understand that we were complete in Christ. I felt that there was something wrong with me. I felt there's something wrong with me because of the thoughts that went through my head. Now, we did not know that we already had everything. The Bible says that we have everything pertaining to life and to godliness. I didn't understand that scripture. I read that scripture, but I didn't understand it. It took me years before I, I fully understood it. Old things, the Bible says, have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe that old things have passed away? Can I look back and say in 1964, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, can I look back at that, say, at that, at that moment, at that time, um, and, and, and say that I was a saint? No, I didn't feel that way. But the Bible says you, your past is gone. New things have come. I did not understand at that time that when we come to Christ, we receive a new heart. We receive a new human spirit. I did not understand that. It is a process that we grow in Christ. Every single one of us, it doesn't make any difference who we are, how smart we are. We are growing in Christ. We did not understand total forgiveness. Not only forgiven for our sins, but that our sins are forgotten by God. You've heard me sometime, many times probably say that for 20 years I prayed the same prayer. I asked God to forgive me for the same thing. And I came to the realization, do I really believe that he does it? Do I really believe that he's forgiven me? If I do, why am I keep on? And it was the guilt that I had. He's forgiven us completely. We are forgiven forever. Some of us had to learn that when we stop focusing on sinning less, but on loving more, something happens. When we love more, we actually sin less. Grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection. The Bible says, in verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The message we hear today is watch out. Watch out when you hear this freedom stuff. Too much freedom is dangerous. Freedom without responsibility. That's what these people are saying that we preach. Freedom without responsibility. And that's not how religion works, they say. The average Christian waters down freedom. But you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about watering it down. You are free in Christ because you have a new heart, 
and you can't ruin it now that you have it. In verse 14, the Bible says this, For the whole law is, is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 16 it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So the Bible is pretty plain here. These Galatian converts were insecure about their moral guidance. And so these Judaizers, these Christian Jews, it was easy for them to step in and say, the moral law of God is the Ten Commandments. And we hear that today. The moral law of God is the Ten Commandments. And it will enable you, if you keep those laws, it will enable you to fight off the flesh. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, the rabbis, they contended that the chief means of protecting against the evil impulses was the study of the Torah and repentance. And you hear that today. You hear a lot of that today. Paul is saying that the flesh has already been put to death and the moral guidance is the work of the Holy Spirit living in you. Now, Christ in you is the fulfillment of the law. The Bible says that love is the fulfillment of the law. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Christ is love. When Paul is using the term flesh, he means living outside of walking in the Spirit. The meaning is closely, closely living under the law. Life in the Spirit begins at conversion. With the gift of the Holy Spirit, we become a child of God. We receive that new heart, and we receive that new human spirit. But notice what it says here in verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Now, it's interesting here what the Bible says. First of all, the Bible says that we are not of the flesh. But the Bible says that there's a struggle between the spirit and the flesh. Spirit and flesh, there's a struggle all through the life. But where are we in this struggle? It's the spirit. We're not flesh. It's spirit and flesh going back and forth. Where are we? We simply are to walk in the spirit, to believe the spirit. When the Spirit is speaking to us, when that, when that conflict is going, I choose the Spirit. I am dead to sin, so I choose the Spirit. And I choose to walk in the Spirit. It's not a ten-step program. It's not a five-step program. It's a one-step program. Walk by the Spirit. You know, through the years, I've done a lot of marriage counseling other types of counseling. And I went through a couple of years ago, I went through a, a marriage counseling course out in, in the state of Washington. And then I went to, in Michigan, I went through one. And then I took the, uh, the Manassas up there, the Exchange Life in Christ. Um, so I've done my share of counseling and um, I'm comfortable in it. 
because there's only one answer to all of the problems, and that is to walk by the Spirit. It all boils down to whether we're going to walk by our flesh or whether we're going to walk by the Spirit. If we walk by the Spirit, just think what's going to happen. You know, you've heard me talk about this 12-inch drop-down program. When these thoughts come through your head, and they come through, and especially in our married life, in our married life, and we, and we, try, to, we try to reason it out up here in our mind. But you know, you really can't trust your mind. The answer is 12 inches down. It's down to the core, down to your heart. God wants us to deal with our heart. We have these thoughts. We get into an argument. We get into some discussions that leads nowhere sometimes. And we figure out that we can reason it out. You know, we, we go, come let us reason together. We, we think we can reason this thing out. And what God wants us to do is just drop down 12 inches. Just stop and think for just a moment, drop down, and then we can, we can figure this thing out through the Holy Spirit. Let God be the one. Let God be the one that changes our mind up here. Because we can't do it. We, we can't get it all straight. And so when we deal here, we deal out of love. It's not important up here. It's important that we be right. It's important that we get our point across, but down here it's not. No, down here we live by the Spirit. We live from the heart. We know in our heart that the Spirit controls a person, that not even the law, not even the law of Moses could condemn him because our ethics is freedom from the Spirit. We are free to be who we are here at our core. Not up here, but here. Can't trust up here, can trust here. That's how we deal with life. We bring it down here and we make our decisions from here. We can trust that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us in this life. Now why is it that there's such a decisive argument against the church for so many that the church is full of hypocrites. How many times have you heard that? Well, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. I don't. When I was a, a pastor out west, I used to tell people when they, when they tell me that, I don't go to church because of hypocrites. I said, listen, all the hypocrites sit in the first three rows. So just sit back there and you don't, you don't have anything to worry about. This idea that all the hypocrites, that the church is full of hypocrites, the sad part of it is that there's some truth to it. That's the sad part. That's the part that really hurts. Why is it that Christians come to live in the spirit but show such little power and love? You know, it's a challenge to all of us. Two weeks ago, after prayer meeting, I went out of the church. Everybody was gone. I went out of the church, and I went to lock the church door, and I looked over, and I saw somebody sitting over there a few yards from the, from the door. 
a young man, had a beard. And uh, so I, after I locked the door, I went over to him and I says, can I help you? He said to me, is it okay if I sit here? I said, sure, sure, it's okay. And so I went and I took my, my knapsack and I backpacked there and I put it in the, in the truck. And then I thought, to, wait a minute. Maybe this fellow needs some help. Maybe God sent him here for a reason. And then, you've, <laughs> you probably laugh at this, I thought, well, maybe he's an angel. Um, and so I thought, well, I better, I better go find out. And so I went over to him and I said, look, I said, is there anything I can do for you? He said, no. He says, if I can just stay here for a while. I said, sure. Yeah, no problem. I says, but tell me, I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to Manassas. And I said, at this time of the night? He says, yeah. He says, I was hitchhiking. I was walking up from Front Royal. And uh, I saw the light here at the church. And so I came up here. And I just wanted, I'm just tired. And he said, I've been walking all day. And I said, well, I said, uh, when's the last time you had a meal? He said, yesterday. I said, really? He said, yeah. I says, well, jump in the truck and I'll take you and get you a meal. So he jumped in and we were going down. And I says, where do you want to go? I said, do you know uh, Front Royal? And he says, well, he says, yeah. He says, I was, I was uh, raised in uh, Strasburg. I says, really? And I said, um, do you have folks there? He says, well, he says, I'm adopted. And uh, I have, yeah, I have adopted family there. He said, but I haven't seen him in 10 years. I says, you don't mind me asking. I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 27. And I said, and you haven't seen him in 10 years. He says, no. He says, I don't think they want to see me. I said, okay. I said, okay, so where, where are you going to stay tonight? And he said, well, he says, I went to the homeless shelter. I said, oh, Front Royal has a homeless shelter, huh? He says, yeah. He says, but they're full. And uh, I said, oh. I said, okay. I said, so let's see. Where, where do we go to get something to eat? He said, well, he says, maybe I should go over to the hospital. I'll get something to eat and then maybe go to the hospital and maybe they'll let me stay in the lobby. And I said, well, I said, where is the hospital? And uh, he, he said, well, you just go down, straight down through Front Royal, and then you come to the end, and then you take a right. I guess it's 340, is that what, at, the end of the, at the end of this road? So I, so I said, okay, so I went down, 340, took a right, and I said, I don't see any hospital. I says, because we were going for a little ways. And he says, um, <clears throat> oh, he said, uh, it's all right, you can, you can let me out here. I says, here, where? He said, oh, you can just let me out here. And his name was Scott. And I said, well, Scott, I said, you know, I said, I want to help you. I said, so what can I do to help you? And he said, no, he said, that's fine. 
And so I said, no. I said, it's not fine. So I took some money and I gave it to him. And I said, here, this will cover you for a couple of days. And I said, uh, but let me take you someplace. He said, no, no, sir. He said, it's okay. I said, oh, okay. So he got out and he, he, um, he turned around and as he was closing the door, he says, um, God bless you. And I says, well, God bless you too. I said, and I says, you can be sure that he will. And so he closed the door and I started driving away and I felt kind of bad. I thought, no, I better go back. And so I pulled over and I looked out the rearview mirror and he was gone. And I thought, well, where did he go? And so I thought, well, maybe I better turn around and try to find him. And uh, so I pulled over again. I looked and, and, and I, I couldn't see where he went. I couldn't see whether he went down into the woods or whatever. I didn't know. And I thought to myself, you know, I was so thankful that God impressed me to, to take him down, to talk to him and, and to take him where he wanted to go. But I thought to myself, what a blessing he was for me for the short time that he was in, in my car from there down to there. And um, so I pulled over and I had a prayer for him. I prayed for Scott and prayed that God would take care of him and, and, and be with him and bless him. But you know, I thought too that Jesus really wants us to express who we are through every circumstances in our life. And I was, I almost, when, when I walked out the door of the church here and I talked to him, threw my backpack into the, in the truck, I wanted to get home, really. I thought, well, I, I need to get home because it's a, it's a long way there. And, but then I thought, what a blessing it was for me to have him in the truck for just a short period of time. So it's like God was saying, God was blessing me through him. And I don't know what's happened to him. I don't know what the end of the story will ever be. But I'm just thankful that God gave me an opportunity to be part of it. And you know... When I think of what Christ has done for me, um, anything that I can do for anybody else is very, very little compared to what he has done for me. He's given me a life. You know, we believe that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, when he died, we died. The question is, what died? When we say we died, what died? And I'm convinced it was that old self, that old identity that died. And when Christ rose, everything from our former past died, and we rose a new person. Christ rose from the dead, and we did too. And it was replaced, our old past was replaced by a lovely, new, godly you. I don't know how many of us really fully understand the impact of who we are in Christ. Christ made us brand new. We don't feel new. 
We don't act new all the time. But we are new. And that's the thing that God wants us to embrace. If we believe who we are at our deepest core, our life will change. It's already changed, but it'll change more and more and more to the, into the image of Christ. We are in good hands when we are in Christ. Christ loves us beyond our... We can't even fathom how much Christ really loves us. We know that he gave his life for us, but it's hard for us to comprehend just how much he does love us. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us when at times we have been so unlovable. We're thankful that you care when sometimes we are so careless. We're thankful that you came to us and gave us the opportunity to experience, experience a new life. And we thank you for that new life in Christ. Now it's my prayer that you'll continue to meet every need that we have here. You know each and every one of us. You know us completely, thoroughly. You understand everything about us. And it's remarkable to me that you love us. You love us complete. And we appreciate that, and we respond to it. And Lord, we just ask that you would continue to not only guide us, but that you would lead us into a deeper understanding and give us a deeper response to the love that you have shared to us. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.